Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I have a brilliant guest as always today, um, and that is Miguel Blackett. And hopefully I've said that last name correctly. Uh, I'm terrible with names. Was that all right? Uh, Almost, Blackout. Blackout. And I think I say Jeff Nippard. Um, I think I I would be tempted to say Jeff Nippard, so I know he's another Canadian with um, the slight twang on the name. But anyway, um, to tell you a little bit about Miguel, he is an intern at Bayesian Bodybuilding, um, so that is Menno, who has been on the podcast before, um, contributes to BioLane, um, so that's um, obviously Lane Norton, so a lot of you will be aware of him, um, is also, I think you're the coach or it is your brand, is Physique Development, is kind of your own coaching brand, is that right? Uh, that is uh, Austin Current, Alex Bush, and oh, myself. Yes, I so should know that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I know. I, I actually know Austin only vaguely kind of off um, chats online and on Instagram. He's kind of infamous on there. So that's really cool. Yeah, um, yeah he has a big following. Yeah, massive. And uh, <laughs> Miguel is very smart. So currently studying nutritional biochemistry um, and is going to go on towards doing a PhD as well. So obviously very invested in that area. And that is why uh, we kind of have Miguel on the podcast, because not only does he have kind of all of this work that he's obviously done, but there's reasons behind it. Well, that's why he is a coach for physique development um, and has written for such high quality uh, publications because he is very smart. Um, and I also wanted to drop in there um, and we've already brought Jeff up, but uh, you're now going to be assisting Jeff in his kind of research for his um, very educational kind of content production over on YouTube, which is super exciting. So um, lots of stuff happening at your end. Yeah, thank you very much. You pretty much uh, hit everything on the head. I'm super excited about everything. I've been blessed with with many uh, great opportunities. And, and the Jeff one is one that I'm just, uh, I'm ecstatic about that one. Well, the thing is, and like we were talking about off air was kind of good things come to good people. Uh, and Miguel approached me to kind of come on the podcast in a re- really, really nice way and kind of and it just gave me a great insight into who you are what you're about um and also i can see why all of these kind of good opportunities have come your way because um people probably want you there because you're a nice guy and willing to help and um, put, put yourself out there so we're actually going to be talking a lot about protein um and we've obviously had the podcast with joseph agu um, about protein which was brilliant um, and we're going to be touching on some of the things that weren't touched about um in that podcast so first of all Miguel, if you're happy to, can we just kind of touch on what muscle protein synthesis is? I think a lot of people have heard of kind of MPS, um, but I think kind of defining it, kind of talking about it mechanistically could be really beneficial to the audience. Awesome. Great. I'm happy to do it. So uh, muscle protein synthesis is quite literally what we're all chasing after. It is the process of building new muscle. It is a process of synthesizing muscle from the amino acids in our bloodstream. Now, throughout the day, we have two processes that are going on that kind of dominate how uh, how we gain muscle, and that is muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown. <clears throat> muscle protein synthesis, of course, is, is the gaining of new muscle, and muscle protein breakdown is how you break down muscle, and this can be uh, this can be a result of high stress levels, energy deficiency, and also it's just something that goes on throughout the day. People like to think of these things as uh, uh, mutually exclusive. But in reality, they're, they're both kind of happening at the same time. Now, in order to gain as much muscle as possible, you want to make sure that your rate or, or the, 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 the net total protein synthesis throughout the day exceeds the, the uh, protein breakdown. 
uh, I know you like analogies, so kind of like a, like a, like a, like you say like your savings account. If you want your savings account to actually grow, you need to be depositing more money than you are spending. If you spend more money, it's never going to grow. In fact, you're going to lose money. So, uh, the process of muscle protein synthesis is uh, is dominated by, uh, by by hormones, by amino acid concentrations in the blood, and by cellular energy. We know that at a, at a younger age, it is very, very much dominated by uh, hormones, and that is why uh, w- when you're young, you can grow and you can build a, a, a lean muscle tissue and sort of synthesize more muscle protein, despite having a suboptimal diet. Then when you become older, the process becomes really, really dominated by the concentrations of amino acids in your blood, and specifically, it becomes uh, uh, regulated by, by leucine. We know that in order to stimulate uh, muscle protein synthesis, you need to consume between two to three grams of, of leucine. That is going to be one of the main triggers of muscle protein synthesis as you become older and older and as that process starts to, to rely on protein quality and the total amount of protein that you are taking in. Um, does that uh, answer the question on what muscle protein synthesis is, muscle protein breakdown? No, yeah, I think that was a great description. I love the analogy kind of talking about um, you can't, if you want to grow muscle, you like you want to grow your savings account, you need to be stimulating or you need to be saving um, more than you are spending, which is kind of the spending is your muscle protein breakdown and your investment is the muscle protein synthesis. And I think it would be good for the audience to kind of hear about, you obviously talked about protein in stimulating muscle protein synthesis and you talked about leucine. Um, is this the only way we can kind of stimulate that muscle protein synthesis response? Where does training kind of come into that picture if you kind of want to delve into that a little bit? So it seems that the, 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 the training is... Um training sort of sets up the stage for muscle protein synthesis. So when, when, when you train... Um, yes, you can stimulate muscle protein synthesis within, like within the muscle, but then you need, uh, um, you need to consume protein in order to actually synthesize that protein. Like many people say the protein is the building blocks of uh, a lean muscle tissue. When you train, when you do these things, you, 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 you stimulate it, but you still need to, um, to put the building blocks there in order to get, to get the growth. Um, uh, something that um, I, I think Menno, uh, he, he likes to say, is that uh, when you train, it's sort of like um, you are creating the size of the glass and then your, your protein feeding is you actually, how much are you actually filling that glass up? Cool. No, I, I like that. And uh, that really puts into perspective about kind of what our main tools are for building up that kind of investment account. It's kind of like our training and then our protein intake. Um, and I don't know if you want to touch on it because people are probably thinking, where does kind of calorie intake come into all of this? How does that influence things? Does it impact kind of um, how your training age, does that impact it? Um, do you want to kind of expand on that? Is that enough for you to expand upon? I know I've been a little bit vague there. Sure. So uh, calories are going to come into the equation. So let, 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 let me preface uh, or let me discuss this a, a little bit about leucine a little bit more before we get into, um, in, into calories. So people are, have, might, might say, okay, well, you need two to three grams of leucine, but what, what does that actual, ac- actually mean for me? Because, you know, my, my chicken breast doesn't say the, 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 the leucine content on it. Imagine so, that. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be pretty sweet. 
So to get into a little bit more into in, in, into leucine, the way that leucine triggers muscle protein synthesis is it's through a threshold point. And that means that if you don't hit those two to three grams of leucine, you actually don't stimulate uh, muscle protein synthesis at all. Again, analogy, the one that I, that, that, I, that I commonly give, it's like when you are turning on your, your TV. If you are going to press on the, 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 the on button, you can't turn it a little bit on, slightly on, fully on. You need to actually put enough pressure on the, on the button to actuate that response from, from, the, from the remote. And then once it's on, it's on. And if you want to turn it off, you turn it off. And, and, and that's it. You, you, it's either on or it's off. So that is how, how leucine works. You consume those two to three grams of leucine and it stimulates muscle protein synthesis and the effects get maximized pretty much immediately. They're, they're, um, it, it's a very, um, uh, it's a threshold. It, it just gets maximized very, very quickly. So in order to get those two to three grams of leucine, you need between 20 to 40 grams of a high quality protein source. So what that means is that within each meal, you should be aiming to have between 20 to 40 uh, grams of a high-quality protein source in order to get that uh, a protein synthesis response. Now, uh, how calories play a, a role into this is that if you have a high amount of, of calories, if, if you are perhaps on a massing phase and, and you can have 3,000, 4,000 calories, then you can uh, uh, use um, protein sources that are a little bit of lower quality, maybe have a little bit of a, of a lower leucine content. And this would be things that um, are mostly uh, uh, vegetarian uh, uh, protein sources like lentils, uh, beans. These things have a lower leucine content. However, as you start to, uh, to, to cut, your calories start to decrease, maybe you're a, 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 a small female and you don't have the calories there to play with, then you have to start relying on things that have a, a very high quality uh, leucine content. Things like whey. Whey has uh, is about 12% leucine, while, while lentils are about 7% leucine. Uh, eggs, uh, a beef, these things are going to allow you to stimulate muscle protein synthesis for a lower caloric cost. Cool. So um, that's actually really interesting because Something I found um, and I think a lot of our listeners will be able to kind of recognize is um, we've had Broderick Chavez on the show and I know you listen so you probably heard him talk about kind mm. of the high carb approach. He's very fond of kind of maximizing carbohydrates, bringing fats down to kind of their minimum level. And obviously with carbohydrates like pastas, breads, like they have tag along proteins. Um, and like you described, these aren't high quality. These have a, a low leucine threshold or low leucine count. Um, so when we are thinking about that situation where someone is kind of increasing their carbohydrate intake, they may end up, if they're kind of keeping their protein to that one gram per pound, for example, find that they're not eating a lot of high quality proteins now. Is that a scenario in which they could potentially be blunting their muscle growth? Should they increase their protein requirements in that kind of scenario? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? In my opinion, if you are at a, and I find this with people who are massing, who have a very large caloric intake, or people who just tend to stick to those bro uh, carb sources like oatmeal, brown rice, things that come with a lot of protein. In my opinion, in that case, you you can benefit from increasing your protein intake. 
Um, it doesn't have to be exceedingly high, just high enough that you're getting at least 10 to 15 grams of a high quality protein source w- with each meal. And this was something that, that, that has been shown actually um, uh, uh, by uh, Lay Norton in uh, Donald Lehman's lab. They did a study where they looked at the protein synthesis response of various sources. In one of them, they compared um, a very high quality source like whey and compared it to, to wheat. So they gave uh, it, it was done on mice, and they gave these mice uh, the same the same amount of protein from whey and then in wheat. And of course, that they they, they saw that uh, muscle protein synthesis was stimulated in in the whey group, but not in the wheat group because the the wheat group wheat is a very um, low quality protein source, it's a very low leucine content. So then, what they wanted to see is okay. Well, what if we make up for the for the, for the leucine amount? Will it have the same protein synthesis response? So they gave again the same amount of whey and wheat to, 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 to the mice, and all they did is they gave the, the mice more leucine in order to, to match what the whey group had. And once they did this, they found that the muscle protein synthesis response in both groups was the same. Cool. No, I really, really like that anecdote. And well, not anecdote, even that it's a study. Um, and uh, actually, if I can draw from anecdote um, with my own clients, um, I found I was coming across the issue before even thinking about this scenario in which leucine wouldn't be enough, just people were like, I'm eating, like I'm really struggling to keep my protein down with my carbs coming up so high. Um, they were having to like have half chicken breasts and things like this. Um, and I kind of came up in my own head and this is, I don't know if the listeners will find any kind of interest in this and you, you even may um, have some commentary on this, but I found kind of general carbohydrate sources, kind of vegetables, kind of pastas, grains, like oats and things like that tended to have like 20 grams of protein for every 100 grams of carbohydrates they provided. So then I was thinking along the lines of, okay, this is a poor quality protein source. I was counting half of that. So I was like, okay, per 100 grams of carbohydrates, I'm getting 10 grams of protein, of good quality, like of okay protein. So then there's 10 grams there that needs to be made up. So for every 100 grams I was giving my clients of uh, carbohydrate, I was adding then 10 grams to their protein intake. So it's like a bit of a, a security blanket, a buffer, and it's probably slightly more assertive than it needed to be. But I just found then clients, just their adherence was up. They're much happier about things. Um, and there's something about being uh, the fact my audience are very much bodybuilders and they love smashing lots of protein. So yeah, I found that to be quite a, an easy way to kind of ensure that there was enough leucine within each meal. No, I really like that. And, and one of the things that I will say is that a lot of the people that hire a coach, um, especially um, in you and I who who have more of, of a bodybuilder, powerlifter, a little bit more advanced uh, uh, following, is that people that, that, that hire us have likely been in the game for, for a little bit longer than, than others. And they have been, you know, uh, preached that they need to eat all this protein and they come from a very protein-heavy background. So then when you give them like a gram of protein per pound, 0.8 grams of protein per pound, it's just not what they enjoy. They enjoy eating a big piece of chicken with, 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 with each meal. And, um, at least, you know, you know, I think we all preach this, that adherence is the number one thing. And if it's not cutting into, into too much into their carbs or fat sources, then I rather give them that, that, that higher protein intake that is going to allow them to, to feel happy because they need to buy into the, the, the process and really feel happy about their meals if they are going to stick to them. Yeah. I think that's a brilliant commentary to add because, Always, you see people trying to kind of make the most out of each each macro, but it's like if you provide enough carbohydrates per, per 
performance, if you provide enough fats for kind of your health and you provide enough protein to hit minimum requirements, like they're all minimums, if you make up the difference on either one of these, really, there's not going to be a lot of difference to where you do that. Um, or at least studies are kind of showing that at the moment. So no, I really like that. And um, we actually covered off one of my questions there anyway, which was kind of the relative importance of protein quality. So I think that was brilliant and got some practical recommendations going off that. Um, what I would like to touch on now is kind of the importance of protein spread um, and kind of timing uh, within that kind of what are your recommendations kind of can we eat all our protein in one meal would that kind of satisfy and get us in that kind of um, same deposit bank for muscle growth or would that not be kind of the most optimal approach. Awesome. Great question. So let's get a little bit into the, the, the mechanisms of muscle protein synthesis again. So once you stimulate muscle protein synthesis, it remains elevated for about three hours. It peaks around uh, 45 minutes to about 45 to 90 minutes, but it remains elevated for about three hours. Now, while muscle protein synthesis rates start to go down, the, 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 the blood plasma concentrations of amino acids remain elevated. And this leads into something that is called uh, the, the refractory period, or at least it, it, it's, it's being uh, more and more studied. And during the refractory period, what that means is that your body is insensitive to another protein feeding. So because the act of muscle protein synthesis seems to be stimulated by the actual act of the, of the amino acids rising. So if the amino acids are, are always high, your body isn't as sensitive to, to that muscle protein synthesis. It seems that you actually need to increase the concentration of leucine in order to trigger muscle protein synthesis. That, that, and once muscle protein synthesis is, is, is stimulated, like I said, it, it is going to stay stimulated for about three hours. And we can go into that in, in two ways. That means that either extreme, either too frequent or too little protein feedings can be suboptimal. So let's start talking about, uh, I, I think we should start talking about too little protein feedings because fasting seems to be the best thing ever. It seems to be, you know, the, the, the magic cure-all for getting an amazing physique and buying Lamborghinis and whatever else is being preached <laughs> out there. <laughs> and eating buffets. <laughs> and eating buffets and being Batman. <laughs> um, yeah, so eating not frequently enough. Like I said, if you want to accumulate as much muscle as, as possible, you need to be you need to be maximizing how much time, how much net protein synthesis you are you are having throughout the entire day. That means that you want to spend time in that in that elevation of muscle protein synthesis, and you don't want to be in, in, in a period where muscle protein breakdown is dominating is, is dominating what what is going on. Um, that w in practical applica applications, this would mean stimulating muscle protein synthesis by having a, a, a high protein meal every three to five hours, a meal that contains between 20 to 40 grams of, of, of protein that is going to allow you to, um, to spend as much, as much waking time as possible within, uh, a, a muscle protein synthesis. If you have protein feedings that are, that are more frequent than this, if you're having six meals a day, eight meals a day, you're eating every two hours, then you are just going to be eating a lot in that time where your body is not sensitive enough to protein. Now, if we go back to not eating frequently enough, there's actually, uh, th there's, there's some, there's some very cool studies. Um, there was one by, uh, uh Moore and colleagues where they gave, um, they, they compared giving a group of people a, a, a skewed versus a balanced protein intake. So in the, the skewed group, they kind of did it how uh, the, the, the North American diet is set up where you have a very poor um, 
a very poor protein breakfast, mediocre lunch, and high protein at dinner. So they gave uh, the, 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 the skewed group 10 grams of protein at breakfast, 15 grams at lunch, and I believe it was 65 grams at, at, at dinner. And they compared that to a group who had uh, the same amount of protein, however, just all balanced, three meals balanced throughout the day. And they found that the group of people who had the balanced intake had 25% greater muscle protein synthesis. Now, as a bodybuilder, that makes me salivate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another study by, uh, by, by Murphy and colleagues in, in, in uh, Stu Phillips' lab, what they did is um, they also gave that same skewed versus uh, a balanced approach. And they took the group of people through an energy balance phase, through a caloric restrictions phase, and through a caloric restriction plus uh, resistance training phase. Now, they found that in, in the energy balance phase, um, the, the balance group, they had greater muscle protein synthesis. Then in the, in the, in the caloric restriction plus um, what, what, whether skewed or balanced approach, the, both groups, their, their rates of muscle protein synthesis decreased. However, the group that had the, 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 the skewed intake, the group that, had, the, the, that didn't have much protein throughout the day and that only had one big protein bolus at night, their rates of muscle protein synthesis fell much more than the group who had the, the balanced approach. And then when they took the people through, the, through the, the, the caloric restriction plus resistance training, they found that the balanced group, uh, the group that, that, that had balanced protein feedings plus resistance training, actually restored their rates of muscle protein synthesis back to the energy balance levels. While the skewed group, the resistance training helped them increase the, the rate of muscle protein synthesis, it didn't go back to baseline. So it's just kind of proving, and I was trying to, the, the whole time you were going through that, I was trying to think of a good analogy. And um, one kind of element I could think of was kind of, once you've kind of triggered the maximal response from your MPS, you're not going to get any more. So if you eat more protein, then you said that that kind of 40 grams seems to be the upper limit of what you might require to maximize your MPS response. More than that isn't going to give you more of a response. It's kind of like if your phone is charged to 100%, if you try and leave it in the charger, it's not going to give it any more charge. You're still just going to kind of run out of it eventually. Um, and so I think when I talk to clients about it, kind of I try and indicate that okay carbohydrates and fats there's very good storage kind of deposits within the body for that but with protein it's kind of one of those things that you need to keep kind of drip almost i don't like to say drip feeding the body but keep kind of presenting that so you've got those amino acids circulating at appropriate times um i don't know if this is and i i, I can remember reading something about the muscle full effect it's kind of like when you have that kind of fullness, um, once you've had that protein feeding, you kind of need to drain it again, like you drain your battery on your phone before you then charge it again. And if you go to charge it too soon, whilst you can charge your phone, you won't get the same response from having another protein feeding too soon after, uh, which goes into kind of against that kind of concept of people kind of, I don't know, having kind of BCAAs between meals to try and kind of keep this thing going. Um, it's kind of like you need, you want to bring it down, come it back, bring it back up. Um, and so you get the maximum effect from that. So I think that's a good practical recommendation. And people might be thinking, okay, so I understand I have breakfast, I have protein, 20 to 40 grams there, I have lunch, I have dinner, and then maybe something before bed. There's a big time gap 
now between waking up and going to bed like there's more than those those five hours um is there any practical recommendations there can we do anything to safeguard ourselves like the meal before bed can we do anything about that or i mean is there any do, would you ever fathom a time where you might be ideal like if someone's trying to maximize their results should they wake up like should they disrupt their sleep to try and get that protein feeding in so they can maybe fit a meal in after four hours and then um, have their breakfast what are your thoughts on that I don't think that would make a, a, a very large, large difference. Um, obviously, that there isn't much literature on people waking up and having a, a protein feeding like obsessed bodybuilders that we are. But I, I, I don't see, see, see it having too much of a difference. Um, pretty much uh, what, what uh, I, you, your listeners might be familiar with the, uh, with, with the study that Brad Schoenfeld just, just came out with. Their practical recommendation also seems to be uh, uh, four meals uh, spread between three to five hours apart, and that really seems to maximize protein synthesis. Um, I, I don't really see there being a, 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 any measurable benefit of waking up and having that, that, that meal at three in the morning. Yeah, whenever people put this to me, I'm always thinking about kind of it's then priority where you're putting nutrient timing priorities above sleep um, and when we think about our priorities just in general I think probably sleep might come above our kind of nutrient timing to that degree we're already getting yeah. nutrient timing nailed through the day to then try and wake up in the middle of the night um, I think that's kind of something that would completely I mean it would kill my sleep in terms of uh, quality and kind of um, length and I think enough of us have poor enough sleep to try and implement that would just yeah ruin us quite completely um, do you have any thoughts on the benefits of maybe having a larger protein bolus before bed so it's kind of um, being digested for longer or maybe a slower digesting protein something like a casein sauce or having some greek yogurt cottage cheese you know those sort of concepts are they useful um, because they are digesting for longer yeah there seems to be a benefit to having a, a casein or, or greek yogurt or things like this um, to get a little bit more into the mechanism of, of leucine once again so um Muscle protein synthesis has two phases, and people don't don't talk about. It. People like to talk about the, the stimulation of it, but it has the initiation, so that is the stimulation, and the elongation phase. The initiation phase is just stimulation, and the elongation phase is actually how you carry out that that, that muscle protein synthesis. So uh, again, analogies. It's like if if you're in your car and you press on the gas pedal. If you just tap it, sure, you might move like an inch, but if you want to go anywhere, you have to keep pressing it. So you have to keep the, the, the high levels of amino acids and, and high levels of cellular energy in order to carry out the elongation phase of muscle protein synthesis and in order to actually synthesize new muscle tissue. And that elongation phase is very energy expensive. It seems that um, uh, uh, sources like 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 casein, like uh, Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, those get digested a little bit slower and have a, a, a little bit of a longer transient time throughout the stomach, and that is going to allow you to sustain muscle protein synthesis for a little bit longer. And having a, a large protein feeding also seems to have a, a, some sort of a of an effect on keeping the rates of muscle protein synthesis a little bit elevated. Um, somewhere around the, the, the 50 gram range might be the upper limit at which we can um, uh, uh, maximize how long your, your muscle protein synthesis uh, uh, stays elevated. 
And if you combine that with, with, with the casing source, I think that there could be some benefit to having a, a pre-bed meal. And I think uh, Joseph Agu is starting to show that with his lab and other people are starting to research this. Um, so, yeah, I think that there could be a benefit to having a, a, a larger protein feeding that, is, that has a little bit of a, of a slower digesting protein source before bed. Fantastic. And I think we've already kind of established some pretty good recommendations now in terms of kind of dosing and timing, getting that 20 to 40 grams generally through the day, every three to five hours. And then when you are having that last feeding before you go to bed, maybe put that up to the higher end, maybe up to 50 grams and have that slow digesting uh, protein source. Um, and I think if people are doing that, uh, and whilst that sounds probably to a lot of the listeners like, completely doable um, and like not something weird or maybe they're already a lot of them are probably already doing it I think to the general public that sounds kind of very obsessive and kind of absurd so um, don't kind of guys if you're doing that already that is like you are um, doing your all you're doing your best right there so um, yeah don't don't feel bad about it and something I do want to bring up because I think some people get a bit kind of then worried if they miss a meal if they don't get that kind of protein feeding or if they have under the, the 20 to 40 grams of high quality protein um, is that is that protein completely wasted if they do end up kind of having a meal within the three hour window like before that window opens again kind of it's not kind of it's not a make or break thing they're still going to grow muscle right yeah you're still going to if, if you're having the, the the total amount of protein throughout the day then you are really maximizing a, a, a lot of it what we are talking here is we are talking minutia we're talking about really if you truly want to optimize to make everything as, as maximal as possible then having the, 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 those protein feedings throughout the day are going to to, to to play a role into it. But if you're just someone who you just want to look better, to be healthier, to lose a little bit of weight, to play with your kids, whatever the case may be, then do what works for you and adhere to that. Um, there isn't going to be a benefit for you to to try to stress yourself out getting these four or five protein feedings in, and then just end up saying, screw, like, screw it, I can't do this. If that's you, if you're just here recreationally because you, you, you like lifting weights, you just want to put a little bit of muscle on, then, then do what works for you. If you want to truly maximize everything, that is when you start looking at, at those higher protein feeding frequencies. Brilliant. Yeah, I think it's always useful to draw ourselves back in because we're talking about, I mean, in terms of priorities, we're already on a level of, okay, calories are most important. Then we're going to macros and we're already specifying a macro. So we're already kind of talking a bit of not minutia, but we've already got a lot of our results from calories, from hitting macronutrient targets. And then we're going into nutrient timing and talking about food composition. So these are smaller details, which I mean, for our listener base and for the people that follow you, Miguel, and the people that follow myself, it's stuff they're definitely interested in. But if you are thinking this sounds a bit much to me, just remember like, put your priorities in order. If you haven't got your calorie balance in check, if you haven't got your macros total in check, then this stuff is stuff to come to later. You haven't kind of graduated to this quite yet. Um, so yeah, that's fantastic. And um, I think we've already kind of talked a little bit about this in terms of kind of, can we overdo our protein intake? I think there are those of us who really like to eat a lot of protein. Um, I think we kind of covered the fact that yes, if you end up over consuming protein so much so that you don't have sufficient fat intake or you don't have sufficient carb intake, then you can cause a problem. But is there any times where you think there could be some practical recommendations for having a higher protein intake? Is there any times where that becomes actually quite potentially beneficial uh, from maybe an adherence point of view or anything? 
Sure. So during a, a, a cutting phase, we know that, uh, again, everything is going to come down to the, the balance between protein synthesis and protein breakdown. A lot of us, uh, uh, and, and for a long time, it has been focused on, on the fact that during a cutting phase in a hypocaloric diet, uh, the rate of muscle protein breakdown is is, is is larger than usual. However, now studies are starting to find that the, the, the muscle protein synthesis might actually be also suppressed during a cutting phase, and the, the, the stimulation of muscle protein synthesis might be, might, might be a little bit harder to achieve during a, a cutting phase. And this is likely because muscle protein synthesis is such an energy-demanding process that your body sort of tries to, um, to, to, to protect against it in a way. Uh, so the research is, is, is still for, – for, for body composition, it's still not quite, quite there, I, I would say. Um, mo- most evidence shows that you, you need a, around 1.8 or 0.8, 1.8 grams per kilogram or 0.82 grams per pound in order to, to, to maximize muscle protein synthesis in, in, in energy balance and, and even in cutting situations. However, I know that, 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 that myself, um, people like Eric Helms, there's also like evidence to show that uh, intakes of 2.2 grams per kilogram, 1 gram per pound can be beneficial during a, a cutting phase. That can sort of help to uh, to to make up for the for the protein that that is being broken down and help you to overcome that uh, little bit of resistance when it comes to muscle protein synthesis. Now, again, the evidence isn't quite clear yet, but I I just rather err on, on the side of of safety. If I can give someone a gram, uh, maybe even up to one point one grams per pound, and it's not cutting into their carbs into into their fats, then I'm going to do that because it it, it really when, when it comes to cost versus benefit, I, I, I think that the, 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 the benefits far outweigh any sort, of, any sort of cost. No, definitely. And I found myself doing similar kind of if I'm in a position with a client where um, they want to continue with their calorie deficit and I'm kind of thinking, right, they're, hung- they're really hungry and we still want to continue this calorie deficit. I, could, I like to increase protein at times because whilst, yes, that's, that's going to shorten the calorie deficit that's going to make it smaller we know protein like we've seen our protein overfeeding studies and the kind of results that happen there so some kind of wacky stuff goes on but we know mm-hmm. protein um, has the highest thermic effect of feeding um, from each macro so that's a bonus uh, and then we know it's highly satiating so um, by just having a little bit more protein sometimes i find during those dieting phases um, can allow people to adhere to that diet through satiation and then almost buffer itself as best as we could hope um, just because of what protein and how it reacts within the body. So I think, no, great point in terms of dieting and bring it up. I think it's definitely a great tool to utilize now and then. And um, it definitely just helps people to realize that that is something that they can play with if they want to try and move their macros around a little bit and they can bias protein somewhat. Um, it could actually provide some benefit during cutting. Uh, so the final point I wanted to go on to, unless there is anything else you want to add to anything we've said, would be BCAAs. Is there anything you want to add before we attack BCAAs? Um, I, 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 th- I think we've covered everything pretty well. Cool. Brilliant. No, I agree. And uh, let's go into BCAAs because I know we wanted to talk about these. Um, if you just want to, first of all, just introduce what BCAAs are and what they aren't. Um, and then talk about kind of whether there's any, I mean, obviously there are supplements all over the place selling them, whether there are any practical recommendations in terms of taking them, um, and that would be fantastic. So, yeah, go for it, Miguel. 
Awesome. So BCAAs uh, are, are the, the, the branch chain amino acids, and those are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Um, BCAAs have been sold because uh, uh, people think, again, that they want to maximize the amount of time they are spending in that muscle protein synthesis state, and they try to consume as much leucine as possible uh, in between meals, intra-workouts, to always keep up that, 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 that state of muscle protein synthesis. Now, like we di- like we discussed, uh, when you consume uh, a, a, a meal that is high in protein, when you consume amino acids, uh, the, the concentration gets elevated, and your body enters that muscle full effect, and there's sort of a, a refractory response to uh, to to consuming further boluses in in protein. So, if you are constantly having amino acids, branching amino acids your body isn't having that same muscle protein synthesis response. And in fact, a, a research by, by, by Stu Phillips uh, has shown that you, when you consume 1.8 grams of protein per, per, per kilogram of body weight, 0.82 grams per pound, that gives you enough amino acids to, to maximize the muscle protein synthesis response. It, it's not The amino acids found in BCAs are still the same amino acids that are found in, in, in a chicken breast. Just because you have them in powdered form doesn't mean that, okay, well, I maximize my chicken breast MPS. Now i got to maximize my branching amino acid MPS. It's all the same MPS. So the, that, that recommendation, those uh, the, that, that 0.8 to 1.1, 1.2 grams per pound, that is really all the protein you need. And that is going to provide you enough amino acids to maximize that MPS response. Now, uh, when we get into BCAs, the problem with them is that, sure, having a, 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 a bolus of just uh, leucine, isoleucine, and valine can stimulate muscle protein synthesis, but it can't support the elongation phase of it. Again, if you're getting into the in, into that car, you want to press down on the pedal to go anywhere. It doesn't do you much justice to just stimulate it and, and, and do nothing about it. They go through your bloodstream so quickly that they don't support proper elongation of muscle protein synthesis and don't support the actual building of, of, of lean muscle tissue. In fact, it's starting to be shown that even a, a, a something like a, like a highly, highly, highly uh, isolate, uh, weight isolate can also have this effect where it just goes through your body way too quickly and doesn't support a good elongation phase of uh, muscle protein synthesis. And what I will say about that idea of having uh, uh, amino acids just constantly in throughout the day, muscle protein synthesis is such an energy demanding process that it seems that at one point or another, the body just has mechanisms to shut it down. After a while, uh, uh, the, your cellular energy, your, your, your levels of ATP start to drop, and this is going to cause an increase in something called AMP kinase. And AMP kinase is, uh, is the direct inhibitor of mTOR, which is the, the, the master regulator of, of protein synthesis. So in order to protect your, your, your body against this, this very energy-demanding process, your body is going to increase AMP kinase, which is going to decrease and directly inhibit muscle protein synthesis. And this is shown in studies, uh, I think uh, there, there was one by Bowie and colleagues, where they literally uh, infused amino acids into, the, into, into people's uh, uh, bloodstreams throughout the day. And again, uh, muscle protein synthesis, it peaked, it peaked, remained peaked for about two hours, and then it just started to fall. Despite the fact these people were literally being infused with amino acids into their bloodstream. Because again, the body only wants to, to stimulate muscle protein synthesis for, for so long, regardless of the amount of amino acids that are in your blood. Because 
it's not beneficial for you to just get as jacked as humanly possible if it means you're just going to like sit there and lay dying because you have no energy because all you're spending your energy on is building muscle. No, I think that's a great point. It, it kind of shows how, in fact, whilst people are taking BCAAs hoping it's going to aid their progress, it sounds like it could potentially even be a detriment to their progress um, and cause things that they want to happen to actually not happen. Uh, something I definitely want to touch on, and obviously I just want to reinforce the fact that you talked about how protein full stop contains the BCAAs and more. Um, it contain, A high quality protein source will contain all the amino acids you need. Um, which is important and you get all the BCAAs you need from hitting your total protein amounts. But what I wanted to touch on um, is the f idea that kind of BCAAs are calorie free. And I just want to make sure that the kind of listeners out there are thinking maybe, oh, I'm going to use it as squash or um, I'm going to use it to flavor water because I've got it. And it's kind of like, well, we've already established that it could be a de detriment because we're, the body might try and switch off MPS um, to a degree. But also, is it calorie-free? How many calories do they contain if they do have calories? Yeah, so BCAs, uh, yeah, they, are, they actually do contain calories. They contain about four calories per gram. And the only reason that it is not listed is because the, the USDA or the FDA, they, they, they don't, it's not a whole protein source, so they don't, um, they, 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 they don't list the calories. And in fact, it's not that companies are being mean. It's not that they're like, oh, ha, ha, we're lying to these bodybuilders. I think um, uh, it was Mark Lobliner. He made a, a video on this. He's the owner of MTS. And he straight up said, listen, I wanted to put the, the, the calories on my um, machine fuel or whatever he calls it. And the, the FDA, the USDA, they said, no, this is not a whole protein source. These, does not, these do not contain calories. So even if the companies wanted to, they couldn't list the calories. And this is actually something that I'm huge on because – you, you've, you've probably seen you, you, you make a, a caloric cut to your, to your clients and then all of a sudden they get worried that they're going to lose muscle. So then they start to pile on the, the BCAs. And let's face it, these things are tasty. Most companies can really, really flavor them. So then you find that they're having maybe a, a scoop of breakfast, one during their work day, uh, uh, one or two during their workout. And this adds up and all of a sudden people can easily easily negate that uh, 10, 20 gram uh, carb cut that, that you made just by consuming so many BCAs. No, I think that that's really a great point. And actually, I mean, to, so the listeners recognize this and if anyone is listening and they take BCAAs and it's kind of hard hitting, I took BCAAs in the past. I, I, I have a feeling Miguel might have, I don't know if you have, uh, but I took Extend and it did taste amazing. Oh, green um, apple. Yeah, I mean, they tasted ridiculously <laughs> good, but they're not worth the expense. You can get nice tasting squash, um, which is going to provide you probably more benefit and uh, you can put your money towards something else. So if you are in that situation where you do have these BCAAs and they kind of, You've been feeling like they're benefiting you try just switching out for a squash you're probably going to get more benefits from doing that um and so yeah i think that i think you demolished the myth of bcaas there um really well and i think we've covered a great deal of information and before we go i do want to make sure uh, the listeners know where they can find the most information about you um and kind of maybe find out physique development what coaching you provide um, and things like that so if people are looking to get more from you miguel where should they look Cool. So people can find me on my Instagram, and that is at mblacout, M-B-L-A-C-U-T-T. Uh, there I post uh, infographics, um, pictures about myself, and I, I, I sort of do, um, I also answer a, a daily question on there. People seem to really, really like those. Uh, if you want to check out my team, uh, you, you, can, uh, you can go to physiquedevelopment.com, and um, 
Yeah, if you want to check out my, my, my business partners as, as well, you have uh, Austin Current and Alex Bush. They're also, they also post uh, some great uh, content. And if you want to apply for coaching, uh, my, my Instagram is probably the best place to find me. And you can also find uh, videos from me where I discuss this and all other, other topics uh, at just uh, Miguel Blacute on YouTube. Awesome. And uh, so you guys don't have to kind of write all those down immediately. They will be in the description box below as always. So you can get straight to those. I want to say a massive thank you to Miguel for coming on the podcast and sharing his knowledge um, and just having a general discussion with me. I thought that was really fun. Um, And I want to thank everyone as always for listening. So cheers guys and take care. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. I just want uh, I just want to tell you on air how much I really, really appreciate uh, you having me. As I told you, I've been listening to this since it was the macro of bodybuilding and powerlifting. I think that's the right order. Uh, but yeah, I'm a huge fan of you and Pascal. And thank you very much for having me. No, brilliant. Um, I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, just more of this sort of appreciation for each other in the industry, I think is sometimes missed. So I love that gratification. So no, thank you, Miguel. Again, thank you. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll catch you shortly. Thank you.